0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Carbon Curve. I'm your host, Naeem Merchant, and this is a podcast about the policies, technologies, and collective action needed to remove billions of tons of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and fend off the worst effects of climate change. Today, we're going to talk about scaling carbon dioxide removal, or CDR, in East Africa. And I'm excited about this episode because for a long time, I felt like the discussion about the opportunities, as well as the challenges with scaling carbon removal, have been pretty narrowly focused on the American and European contexts. The extent to which countries in Africa garner any attention on anything other than nature-based solutions, it's as a climate victim that we mustn't burden with cleaning up our carbon mess. And there's some truth to that. But we also know that growing the CDR industry represents a potentially massive economic opportunity. And there are valuable lessons to be learned and experiences to be shared in all directions by broadening our horizons and deploying CDR in a truly global fashion. Frankly, it's the only way we'll reach anything close to gigaton-scale carbon removal this century. Now, my family is from East Africa, and I've spent years living and working in the region in my previous career before climate, so I might be a little biased here. But my guest today makes a pretty compelling case for investors, innovators, and project developers to take a serious look at Kenya and the Great Carbon Valley as a destination for your next carbon removal project. With COP28 in full swing... Now's a good time to forge some new partnerships. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast at carboncurve.substack.com or through your favorite podcast app. Okay, let's get started. Hi, everyone. My guest today is Bilha Dirangu. Bilha is the CEO of Great Carbon Valley. She's also the co-founder of Jacob's Ladder Africa, a nonprofit focused on green workforce preparation. In this and other roles, she is at the intersection of climate action, technology, and education, positioning Africa as an investment destination for the green economy, identifying and scaling relevant technologies, and preparing its youth to provide the requisite skills. She has had previous roles as CEO of the African Leadership Academy and CEO of Africa's Talking, a communications technology company, where she expanded the company into 20 markets in African countries. She also worked at Dahlberg, where she helped launch the Nairobi office, Dilhout holds a degree in electrical engineering from MIT and is a Yale Emerging Climate Leaders Fellow. Great Carbon Valley is a systems integrator and a project development company working to harness the abundant resources of the Great Rift Valley towards global decarbonization efforts by developing large-scale green industry and carbon removal projects. GCV or Great Carbon Valley aims to help develop comprehensive direct air capture and storage anchored industrial parks that serve as complete solutions for energy intensive businesses, enabling them to operate with enhanced efficiency and achieve net zero targets. GCV is seeking and working with a network of actors, including energy developers, direct air capture technology ventures, carbon storage providers, green industries and project financiers to develop these hubs. Earlier this year, GCV announced a partnership with Climeworks to explore the development of large-scale direct air capture and storage projects in Kenya. Bilha, thrilled to have you on the show. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Bilha, can you share a little bit more about your experience of just getting into carbon removal?
1: Sure. No, thanks for the question. Um, so, CDR... It's not necessarily a natural industry for me, but when I look at the things I've been passionate about and the changes I'm looking to make, in many ways, the advantage has, has then come to us doing CDR in Africa. So a little bit of background here is, I've co-f- as you mentioned in my bio, I've co-founded several companies and just helped launch different things and in Africa, and the context has always been looking to develop industry, but also looking to provide employment. And increasingly, as I've, you know, worked towards, okay, what are the best ways to help tackle unemployment in Africa? I landed on this idea that the green industry is going to be probably the next biggest thing. And if harnessed properly, can actually help Africa solve its employment issues while helping the world decarbonize. And, and I'll speak a little bit more to this later, but just think, you know, coming to the conclusion that Africa actually provides some of the best places to do CDR for a variety of reasons, which is why GCV exists. It then came to me, you know, here's a new industry. Um, Africa has a chance to actually be at the forefront of it, and we can actually solve a big problem of unemployment, given that we have the youngest population. And so, interestingly for me, CDR is sort of a way of, for me, CDR sort of presents a way to help solve two of the biggest problems facing our generation, which in my mind are climate change and unemployment for the the large and growing population of Africa.
0: Yeah, that's a really, really important point. It's so many of us got into carbon removal having kind of taken what we've learned in different sectors and different industries and and seen kind of problems that exist that go beyond the kind of climate challenge and see carbon removal as not just uh, an important tool in addressing climate change but also in establishing a new industry that can address challenges around employment and other kind of community and social challenges that this new suite of technologies if deployed correctly and deployed well can can play a really big role. And it's it's really cool to connect with people who've kind of been able to see those connections with carbon removal that go outside um, the realm of climate as well, not just kind of focused on the, on the climate impact. Can you tell us a bit more about Great Carbon Valley and what its mission is and what its vision is?
1: Sure. As I started to talk about, this idea of Great Carbon Valley came upon us with the realization of what Africa is. And for us, um, I'm based in Kenya. And for those of you who Familiar with the geography, we are part, Kenya is part of the Great Rift Valley system. As we began to think about what, what opportunities or what options the Rift Valley offers, I came to a realization that we have significant potential that is actually quite important for CDR. And what this potential includes is significant amounts of renewable energy, including geothermal. It's often surprising for people when they learn that Kenya is the seventh largest geothermal producer globally. And even with that, we're barely utilizing 10% of our geothermal potential, not to mention wind and solar potential. And then coupled with that, because of the Rift Valley, and we have significant basaltic formations that then allow full carbon mineralization. And so combine that with the fact that we have lots of labor and, you know, accessible talent, the thinking became, okay, if Kenya and the Rift Valley is providing a place for us to think about doing CDR at scale, then what what would it take for us to actually get that done? And we spent a significant amount of time shaping this narrative, thinking through how to make this work and lots of different goodwill from whether it's the political side or other, you know, other other CDR players. But we recognize that while all that is important, there is a need for um, an entity that actually makes this happen. And so enter GCV. Our mission at GCV is to... Essentially, take all these different resources that the East African Rift Valley provides and build green industrial parks across the Rift Valley. And these parks ideally would be anchored by DAC, direct air capture and storage, and around that, build other green industries that are complementary to DAC. And this could be energy intensive industries or hard to abate sectors that require storage or industries that utilize carbon dioxide. So it's, it's this idea of kind of building this complementary industries, but utilizing the significant amounts of renewable energy that we have. And so what great, how Great Carbon Valley is going about this is we, as I mentioned, we are a systems integrator. So we our first part is identifying the right places to do this. And so what are the, what are the sites that make sense for, this, for us to do this in the different countries we are looking at? What are the energy sources? I'm actually bringing that together. And essentially laying out and building out the infrastructure that's needed, working with storage providers to develop storage capabilities in the sites, and then beginning to essentially provide um, a sort of plug and play um, hub, as it were. Of course, it's never quite plug and play, but a plug and play hub for both direct air capture companies and other green industries. And what we then hope is we will develop the sites and then help co develop these projects and eventually provide what we're calling an integrated carbon management platform. And so, what that means is that as industries are thinking about their carbon uh, management, uh, we can help them with that, and so that's everything from what's your energy use, so we're making sure that it's green energy. If you need to sequester carbon, we're helping you. Sequ- uh, we, we're providing the storage facilities for that. If you need to figure out your carbon credit mechanisms or how you how you affect that, so we can help. We can help with you know thinking through that. So so it's everything from the infrastructure that's needed, permitting and regulatory support to get this done, and then working with technology providers too make sure these technologies are set up and are developed in this part of the world.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. And it's it's really interesting how you're taking this holistic view in that these are, you know, green industrial parks anchored by direct air capture and, and carbon storage, yes, but then there's so much opportunity for other decarbonization technologies or other industries that do require a large amount of renewable energy. And you can imagine then the direct air capture function also providing support in helping companies operate in these green industrial parks at a truly net zero basis, given that they'll be using renewable energy or green energy for uh, their energy inputs. And then direct air capture potentially as well is there on site around just kind of any need to get to zero, uh, net zero through their operations. Is that kind of how you're envisioning it?
1: Precisely. And it's, yeah, it's exactly that, which is this idea of what do you need to get net zero to help industries, meet their net zero targets. And you realize it's the suit of different things, whether it's the energy, the storage, um, complementarity between industries. And we recognize that if we have this in sort of the same place, it becomes that kind of build a hub rather than trying to get these things done in disparate places. But yes, it is a fairly grand vision. But yes, I think you well articulated. It. Thank you.
0: Yeah, no, that's really great. And and I, I'm I'm a fan of this hub model and how we think about building new industry and how mm-hmm. direct air capture and carbon removal are integrated within that. That the role of, carbon removal deployment can go so much more than beyond kind of how it's used in the carbon markets. And I'm sure there's an element, there's a big element of that in how you're envisioning this, but also how it can help be kind of attached to supply chains and value chains in order to help industries operate at a net zero basis. Can you provide a brief overview of the reasons as to why you see Africa, in particular Eastern Africa, as having great potential to host carbon removal projects You've touched on a few of them so far, but what are the combination of attributes that exist that make it an ideal location for carbon removal deployment?
1: So I'll start off with the fact that uh, so, so energy is a big one. One of the things that one of the big issues or I'd say comments around CDR and especially things like DAC is how energy intensive they are. And question is always, should you be using you know, energy to remove, to do dark, or should we be using the green energy to defossilize the grid. Now, Africa, and especially East Africa and Kenya, where I'm sitting, where I'm at, faces the exact opposite problem where we have significant amounts of energy potential, but we don't really utilize the energy. And a big part of it is just because there's no demand for it. And in a way for us to catalyze the energy development and especially the renewable energy development, we are betting on this idea that we want to attract Energy-intensive industries and especially and those that need to decarbonize or be green to both provide anchor demand for energy projects, but at the same time help green these industries. And so, just quite, to get just quite a little bit deeper on the energy question, and I know I touched on this a bit. When you look at the potential in some of these countries, you realize that we're barely scratching the surface as to how much energy we can produce. Um, but as I said, part of the problem is we're not producing the energy because there's no demand for it. So an example, um, Kenya, for example, has at least proven potential of between 10 to 20 gigawatts of geothermal energy. And at the moment, we're using less than 10% of that. And we could, we could develop a lot more. We have the largest wind farm in Africa that has had you know, availability factors of up to 65%, which is really high for, for wind. But then again, could be developed a lot further if there was demand for energy. Not to mention the fact that we are sitting on the equator, so are able to pretty much power you know solar panels throughout the year, as it were. And the, for us, the question is, if, can we you know can we use CDR and other energy intensive industries, as I said, to accelerate the, de- the development of these energy resources? As, as the second bit, as I mentioned, was the ability for us to permanently sequester carbon. So again, sitting on huge formations of basaltic um, rocks and so looking to make this a uh, carbon storage hub. So in a similar way as, as what they're doing in Iceland. i like to joke that um, we, we we essentially have the same geography as Iceland. We just don't have the cold. Uh, we're just not as, sorry, just as cold. The fact that we can't sequester carbon, I think is an important piece. Of course, there's the issue of talent. We have lots of talent that makes this feasible. But I think there's a fourth nuance that I think is important for us to add on to this is because we haven't developed much and we're we're literally on the ground floor of development. When I say development, I'm talking about industrialization, building out our energy, et cetera. We're, what we're betting on is that we can get Africa on what we call a climate-positive growth trajectory, which means that from the start, we can actually build green industries and we can actually build green sources of energy. So rather than having to build out fossilized um, energy sources and then have to make our industries green, which is what a lot of other countries would have to do, we're starting from a place where our energy is already green. Can we just build right from day one? Um, just an example again, Kenya, for example, is at 93% renewable and poised to become 100% renewable by 2030. So all we're saying is that we have the chance to build right from the from day one, and I think focusing on CDR and other energy intensive industries that are de- there making a demand for renewable energy sources, which would actually be a really important part of how we decarbonize manufacturing globally, as it were, by using Africa as an energy source.
0: It's such an interesting point because the way I've typically heard about some of the challenges with deploying direct air capture is the energy intensity and and how that potentially displaces the use of clean energy towards other uses. And like you said, in in the context of Kenya, we're kind of flipping that on its head in that direct air capture can actually create, if I'm understanding you correctly, a critical mass of demand that's needed to unlock new renewable energy sources. And then that can have benefits that can benefit the community or the creation of new industries or whatever the case is, but that more energy intensive carbon removal technologies can actually bring online new reno- renewable energy sources uh, in a way that has then additional benefits beyond just powering a direct air capture and storage you know, facility of sorts. Do I have that right?
1: Exactly. And yeah, I think you've hit a nail on the head, which is, yeah, it's always, a, it, it's always interesting speaking to folks in the global north um, where the fight is, should we be using renewable energy to do CDR or should we be using it to defossilize our grids? And to your point, we're exactly opposite situation where we have too much renewable energy that we can't seem to utilize and we can't find ways to, to get it done. And so CDR provides a perfect opportunity to catalyze captive demand for it. And for us, there's a, there's a larger impact story around just increasing energy access in these countries that we're operating in.
0: That's really interesting. And before we shift gears, can you say a little bit more about the geologic storage potential? And you kind of mentioned the uh, comparison with Iceland and just want to understand what is the geological storage potential and characteristics in, in Kenya?
1: Yeah, so we still need to do more comprehensive studies for us to give like very precise numbers, but at the moment, indications are we're in billion tons. For from 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 an implate number, we're in, you know, in billion tons capacity for storage. And again, this is just the Kenyan rift valley. The Kenyan part of the rift valley, we can imagine if you start thinking about other countries that sit on the rift, then storage becomes, really, it becomes a really interesting storage capacity. And if we are looking at gigaton removal by 2050 for us to hit our net zero targets, then I think it, it wouldn't make sense for us to ignore this part of the world from a storage perspective. Um, and as I mentioned, the idea here is to use basaltic formations for storage. And the way this typically tends to work in a simplified way is you have carbon dioxide that's mixed, you know, um, injected at high pressures into these basaltic formations. And usually, the you know, the carbon dioxide will be mixed up with water. So sort of, become you know, and forms carbonic acid or is, is acidic in nature and the rocks tend to be basic in nature. And so once you inject this stream of carbon dioxide and water into the rocks, the idea is there's is a reaction and they form an inert rock that essentially, unless you dig it up, are poised to store carbon dioxide permanently, as it were. And so the other thing is, a lot of times this tends to go hand in hand with geothermal facilities. And so either using reinjection walls that are you know for geothermal or, you know, or sort of utilizing similar areas where, ge- where geothermal is happening. And so in some ways, we are looking to utilize or at least work around the geothermal fields in Kenya. But then might also at some point start looking at other fields as we keep growing our capacity. But, but really the idea here is the permanent storage that is occasioned by the fact that basaltic formations react with carbon, you know, carbonic acid to form this inert um, rock.
0: Yeah, that's really great. And we've seen some of that with some of the early results coming from Iceland on how that mineralization's happened mm-hmm. faster than, than anticipated yeah. in the course of you know, turning into rock within a few years. Can you speak to the political will behind carbon removal in Kenya and maybe even some of the surrounding countries? You know, what what potential are these political leaders seeing?
1: Very much so in Kenya in particular, our president has been literally at the forefront of this climate-positive growth story. As you might be aware, there was a really large summit here this year, I think in September, there was an the Africa Climate Summit that had almost about 20,000-plus participants. And a big focus around that was what, you know, can Africa be poised to become a leader in providing solutions as, as far as climate is concerned? And in many ways, there's a realization that, one, this is a whole new industry. And in many ways, Africa is, as, as I mentioned earlier, there's a recognition that Africa can provide solutions to this industry. And so it becomes this interesting way of thinking about the fact that this provides both direct you know, foreign investments, its jobs, it's new technologies coming into a you know into this side of the world and providing a whole new you know stream of income that didn't exist before and if you combine if you combine cdr um, as an industry and with green manufacturing then you're really looking at a game changing scenario where countries can actually solve some of the biggest problems which in Africa, the biggest problem right now is how do we provide economic growth to make sure that the millions of young people are employed. And so the president sees that. So he sees at least a political this political goodwill because they do see this as a way for Africa to kind of move on from being a victim of climate change, which has kind of been the been the narrative in the past. And and there was nothing, you know, and, and it is true. Africa is, you know, there's always a question is why should Africa be you know, should be why should Africa be doing CDR, even if we're only responsible for four, three to four percent of um, global emissions? And the response to that is yes, that is true. And there is a point, there is a place for conversations around loss and damage, resilience, adaptation, et cetera. But if we can actually provide solutions, and if it's going to be trillions of dollars invested in the carbon industry or in carbon management, and we happen to be geologically suited to do some of this really, really well, then why not? Uh, why not be at the forefront or the vanguard of providing the solutions and getting some of those investments coming in? So, so it's a long way to say lots of political will, at least in Kenya, because been—you know they, they recognize this, um, they recognize the potential. And I, I think surrounding countries are starting to see that and in many ways taking the lead from Kenya and saying, OK, let's find ways to attract this industry. So I can speak a lot more confidently about Kenya, but it is a case um, in neighboring countries because essentially we are all as I said, suffering from the same thing, which is how do we grow the economies and how do we create employment? And here's a nascent industry that could actually help solve that quite well.
0: Yeah, that that employment story is a really powerful one. It's it's one that we're finding here in Canada has a lot of purchase with politicians. It's, you know In a world where new technologies feel like they're going to be automating away jobs or they're going to reduce the amount of jobs that are needed, It's really refreshing that there's a new a new suite of technologies in climate tech, but in carbon removal specifically, as a brand new industry, to just create new jobs and and especially in parts of the world where we see high levels of youth unemployment. And Bill, are you able to just for context, do you have a sense of of what that unemployment looks like? You know, in North America, we're used to talking about unemployment in the range of single digits uh, percentages. What are we talking about in Kenya and other parts of East Africa?
1: Um, Definitely not in single digits. I think maybe a little bit more context here. Allow me to share this. So Africa is the youngest continent. So right now, the mean age is 19.9 years, and it's supposed to get younger. What I mean by that is when you look at a population pyramid, we have a really young population. So even what we have right now is only going to get bigger in terms of the number of young people coming into the job market over the next 10 to 20 years. And so... We are looking at double digits and employment numbers, depending on the country you're looking at. It could go as high as thirty percent forty percent in some countries um so it's so you can think about twenty you know between a range of twenty to thirty percent in a lot of these countries so one it's definitely it's already bad enough when you compare to the single digit numbers that you are talking about in north america but I think for me it's not just today but it's actually what's 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 going to happen in the next couple of years if we don't solve this problem so you're essentially looking at the youngest continent getting younger. One in four people is gonna be an African, Twenty-fifty, as it were, and not just an African, but a young African. And so you can imagine this uh it's very talented people who have lots of energy and could do a lot if they have the opportunity. And so I like to think of this as potential rather than a disaster, but it could actually it could it's it's two sides of the coin. So if we're deliberate about this and create the employment opportunities and innovation opportunities, then we could actually see some really good solutions and talent coming out of Africa. On the flip side, if we don't do that, then we do have an unmitigated disaster in our hands, which is lots of young underemployed or non-employed Africans. And who knows what could happen with that?
0: Yeah, it's an important thing to think about, you know, as parts of sub-Saharan Africa go through this demographic transition and just the implications it has on employment. I studied demography like many years ago in school. And so I have been just fascinated by how these changes in demography can impact the job market and then in turn the political realities that people are living with, and then to be able to connect that to how carbon removal can play a role in helping in a small way address uh, what could be demographic benefit or challenge is is really cool to think about and so you've seen it sounds like a good amount of political will from political leaders in Kenya. Are we likely to see? Any kind of policies that are supportive of industrial scale carbon removal coming out of East African countries in your view
1: um yes, and I said this in the context of a uh, policy that just got released that wasn't very uh, i mean I, I think it's still about, it, these conversations about it and maybe stepping back here and we need to make sure that as we're developing CDR there is a sense of equitability as it were and in the past there has been this sense that you know carbon projects were developed in Africa and very few people really knew what was going on so there was a bit of lack of transparency where project developers would come in develop projects and the communities in which the you know the projects were being developed had no idea really what was happening or how much money they really could make um, etc. The standards verification and all that stuff tends to happen outside the continent and that's historically been what's happening and my sense is as countries begin to wake up to the potential that is CDR, there might be a knee jack reaction to you know, develop policies that are poised to make sure that benefits are accruing to the country and communities. But we need to be careful to make sure that you're doing both, which is how do you make sure that com- countries are benefiting from CDR activities happening in their own countries, but at the same time attracting investments and not, um, not making it too arduous or too unattractive for commercial investments to happen in their own countries. And so I think we will definitely be seeing some really positive policies because countries, it's the same when you think about export processing zones or as countries begin to think about ways to attract export industries, we'll definitely be seeing some interesting policies come along. What I think is important, and maybe this becomes, uh, this is why shows like this are important, um, there will be need for a lot of education on what this means. Again, CDR is as new an industry and as cutting an industry wherever you go, leave alone Africa. And so for us, it is important that there's education for both policymakers and others as to what is CDR, why is it important? And as I said, there's starting to be recognition for why it's important, especially from an economic perspective. But at the same time, how do we make sure that we're attracting global players to our markets in a way that is both equitable, but also commercially viable, etc. So I think it's going to take a while. And then, of course, you have to think about this in, in line with, you know, things like Article 6 and all these other things that are coming to the policy um, equations. And those are also taking their own times um, in terms of how they're getting developed. So my sense is that as countries are waking up to the potential that is CDR, we're definitely going to be seeing some interesting policies coming along, but it might require a bit of education to make sure that we are getting the right policies put in place.
0: Yeah, it's a struggle everywhere to figure out how do we de- develop smartly designed policies that have the intended impact and are Uh, Creating gains that are equitable. That's a really important point. And you talked about the importance of attracting investment in this space. What would it take for project developers to deploy projects in Kenya? You know, um, what are some of the challenges that exist around attracting some of these companies? And what are some of the opportunities uh, to attract these companies and build up this ecosystem?
1: Um, I think you're asking the very question why GCV exists. And again, just kind of putting a plug in here that we exist to solve this exact question, which is we see the opportunity, but we also recognize that DA companies won't just wake up or CDR companies won't just up and come and set up in Africa or in Kenya in particular. And so we'll be starting off with the challenges. One, I think some of these are both perceived and real challenges, So I think we have to recognize that some of this it's a combination of perception and true challenges. And so one is usually the risk the minute you mention Africa for, for us, a lot of people just think about risk or who does anything in africa, and that 's both from do we have the right protection for our investments? Can we get funding for our investments? But I think part of it is a lot of it is this perception because people are thriving, and you know there's industry that's thriving in parts of the continent, so it's just a question of shifting this new industry and bringing it here and but what gcb is helping do that is helping is sort of reduce that risk, so whether it 's the lack of, you know, the fear of the unknown. Like, who do we know? Who who do you work with? Where do we even start? What permits do you need, et cetera? So part of our work is to actually help smooth that out. But I do have to say, yeah, so the perception of risk is one. Um, The second bit is we will need to create this infrastructure. So in as much as the potential exists, we need to build it out. And again, this is not too much of a problem because I reckon this is the same across board. You know, CDR is still very, very new. And so there's no one place that can say, they have the edge in terms of developing the infrastructure that's needed, but that's still something that we have to be cognizant of. And again, part of what GCV is doing is to accelerate that infrastructure development. Um, but then in terms of some of the advantages, one is the fact that as I say, there's definitely the political goodwill for this, at least in Kenya, there is you know active goodwill for the, to, to make this happen. And so my bet is that as companies are starting to think about doing this and trying to navigate their way here, hopefully they will find a more welcoming sort of regulatory environment of course, we'll still have to think through what, what what's the right regulation. And in some cases, because the regulation doesn't exist, and it doesn't exist because this, this is a new industry, so no one knew to develop regulations for it. Um, it. In my mind, I think that's both an opportunity, but potentially a disadvantage. Uh, opportunity in the sense that if we find the right governments who actually see the, the benefits of this, they might actually accelerate the development of, some of the regulatory the permitting processes, etc., And we might actually see that we are able to do storage faster in some of these markets because of faster permitting, as it were. But on the flip side, you could also find situations where there is no regulation. And as you're waiting for the regulation to get developed, it then delays you. Um, The other bit is talent. I think this is, it's actually a really important bit because in many ways, a a big cost to, you know, in terms of CDR, I mean, of course, yeah, there's the energy cost, but then there's also the talent that's needed to develop and run these industries. And because, again, we have such a young but well-educated population, um, my sense is that we are going to see significantly lower CDR costs because of the talent, um, the amount of talent and the cost of labor. And so for companies that are thinking about, yes, we want to do CDR, we want to get really good pricing, but also starting to think about the talent question, East Africa provides that in very interesting ways. And so, yeah, so I think the way to think about it is, yes, it is risky, but in many ways it's, it's risky everywhere. But what GCV is here to do or what, what, what part of our role is to at least remove or reduce um, the Africa risk, as it were. And we are local. We understand the context. We have decades of experience working in Africa. So ideally that risks a lot of things. But on the flip side, there's a lot to grow and there's a lot to gain, especially being at the beginning of an ecosystem development. These ways you might get tax incentives here, you know, you might get really cheap labor, et cetera. So it kind of balances out. So I think I would say that anyone that's thinking about what's our next location for CDR or for a duck plant, I think Kenya or the East African hubs should hopefully factor in fairly highly in the list.
0: That's really encouraging to hear. And and you're absolutely right. I mean, there's a risk around carbon removal deployment everywhere. We've we've done so little of it. And it's great to know that G C V exists to help mitigate some of the risks. And and then hopefully what is a, a high risk endeavor translates into high rewards for companies that choose to make Kenya and, and parts of East Africa home for for carbon removal. And and when we think about perspectives, you know, you've spent some time kind of traveling around Europe and North America and speaking with Industry leaders and nonprofit leaders and government folks in the climate and carbon removal space for for a while now. What what would you say is kind of the biggest disconnect in conversations that you're having around scaling carbon removal solutions, uh, you know, in Africa versus Europe or North America or elsewhere?
1: You know, that's a really interesting question, and mostly um, smiling as I say this because it's a. Um, I'll probably give us you know a scenario. Usually, what you, when, at least, what's, what what my experience has been as we get into these rooms for the longest time, CDR and Africa were not in the same. One you know, people didn't talk about them um, in the same way, or at least in the same sentence, because it didn't. For a lot of people, it just didn't exist. And I mean, fair enough. It's a it's a new industry. Most of the technology development is currently happening in Europe and, and North America, and it's only it's only fair that people would think about CDR and especially. Uh, Dark as happening in the global north. And a lot of the policies and thoughts around investments have typically tended to focus on those two regions. And what's always interesting is the more we speak about, or at least um, have conversations about why it actually makes sense to do dark and basically other CDR industries in this part of the world, and you begin to talk about the energy potential and the political goodwill, the sequestration potential talent. So it's interesting how it, it it becomes very obvious to people that are saying, oh, wait, why, why haven't you thought about that before? And once you line up the reasons for why we think we should be doing dark in Kenya, the next question for me is always like, oh, really? So you think we can actually come and can actually get cheap energy and we can actually get permitting to do this? And you're now starting to see people saying, oh, wait, let's actually come in and think about Kenya. Or let's think about East Africa as a, global, as a hub for removals. And so the narrative is starting to shift. We're starting to see interest. I mean, I have different dark companies calling and we're in conversations at different stages with companies looking to set up or do initial pilots in Kenya. But definitely, this would not have been the case a few months ago. And I would I'd say part of this is perception, which is what I was saying earlier, where it doesn't occur to people that they can do business in Africa. Secondly, for the longest time, Africa and climate has been seen from a victim perspective so it's almost like let's do the solutioning and decarbonization in the global north um when you think about africa it's more around mitigation and resilience or loss and damage and this idea that africa can actually be centre for cdr is for a lot of people it's not it's not even in there you know um it doesn't even come to mind until you begin to make the case for it and it then becomes fairly obvious and so I, i reckon Things are shifting, but yes, you are right in the sense that when we started or when started having these conversations for a lot of people, it sounded like that's not possible. Then once you start breaking it down, they're like, oh wait, that is so obvious. Why are we not doing CDR in Africa? And my hope is that as we start building out projects over the next couple of um, years, that this will then shift so it stops being, oh, we're just doing CDR in the global north, but people actually think about CDR. What what are the best places to do CDR? And hopefully, Africa comes to the top of it. And lastly, and maybe this is an important point, um, sometimes I find a conflation between community benefits and people saying, oh, we shouldn't be doing CDR in Africa because Africa should not be bearing the burden for carbon removals because we didn't do this or this is not fair to the communities. How do we make sure the communities are, are well compensated, et cetera? And unfortunately, some of these arguments actually tend to work against the development of CDR in Africa. And while well-meaning, it can actually be detrimental because if we think, if, again, going back to the thesis of our conversation, which is we need jobs in Africa. Here's a trillion-dollar industry that is looking for the exact conditions that Africa has to offer. So I think there is something to be said about finding the right balance between proper investments that take care of the community, but at the same time, investments that, that do create jobs. And so just wanting to make that nuance that Developing high-quality CDR industry in Africa is actually probably one of the best impactful things that one could do to help, help communities on the ground. Yeah,
0: I love that climate-positive vision as well. I think that's really important. And and to your point around kind of how the conversation is going, and and you know where people think it makes sense for certain countries in the global south to play a role in carbon removal or not, I would just hope that we include. A lot more people from the global South in that conversation and have them kind of decide what that future ultimately looks like, as opposed to I think what's happens often is that in North America or europe we'll we'll talk about it in that kind of burden framing that you mentioned, which i I can kind of see the philosophical argument there, but it kind of feels a little out of place that we would have a say on that in the first place um and so it's great to see that the conversation is opening up beyond just folks in Europe and North America. And that really, when we think about getting to gigaton scale carbon removal, I cannot imagine doing that without every country doing something meaningful in carbon removal over the coming decades. And so we're going to need everybody. And to, to see that we have these really, really attractive conditions in parts of East Africa to scale up carbon removal is something that uh, is really exciting. And we're just really grateful that Great Carbon Valley is there to help steer and navigate and effectively uh, make reality uh, carbon removal uh, in this part of the world. Um, With that point, I mean, I'm just curious to know what, what are kind of the more immediate next steps for you as you think about getting some of these first projects off the ground?
1: I think for us, the key thing is to prove that this is doable. And as I said, I think my hope is that if we have a few projects that get online over the next coming years, this begins, or at least, get commissioned over the next coming years is hopefully shifts the narrative and stops being about this can't be done to where it is being done. And so a big part of our focus over the next year is we are looking to do some pilots in mineralization, so to prove that we can mineralize on the continent. We have our first site that we hope to get some initial projects going and so again, hoping to use 2024 to build out the infrastructure and start with either some smaller dark plants um, even as we're we're looking to do the bigger build-outs. But really, it's yeah, spending the next couple of months or working on our sites, making sure we're building out the infrastructure, but at the same time building out relationships with um, CDR companies that are looking to come onto the continent. Recognizing it does take a while between a conversation and uh, an expression of interest to when you're actually able to have a plant going. And I mean, as I'm, as as you're well aware, lots of companies are still in pilot stages or just really early in their technology and. Our hope is that we can actually work with them in their journey, in their you know in their tech development journey, and have them think about what, what would it take for them to do a deployment in East Africa, and make that a lot easier for them. So whether it's what, you know what, what are the power requirements they need, what the regulatory you know and permitting requirements needed, and kind of make make sure those are in place and create a more or less plug and play. Of course, it's never quite that, but, you know, uh, as, as close to a plug and play space for dark companies to both do their pilots, but also do commercial installations. And so, yeah, so I think it is a new industry. There's lots of different actors to bring together. Um, and for us, the hope is we spend the next couple of months really trying to bring it all together and getting some projects off the ground. Um, of course, I'm quite excited about the recent announcement with Climax looking to explore the development of a large scale dark installation in, in Kenya, and again working towards that getting that to happen. But my hope is, you know, having folks like Climax looking at this and saying, you know, what this actually makes sense for us to come to Kenya makes the story or the narrative a lot a lot easier for other people to think who are thinking about this and saying, okay, wait, if Climax looks at this and says it's possible, then should it hopefully should be doable for other companies. So yeah, so looking forward to having as many conversations as we can with different players, both from policy, um, technology, financiers, et cetera, and looking to see what it would make for us to make this dream a reality.
0: That's really great. And we'll be cheering you on and helping shift the narrative in any way that we can be helpful. We're really excited about the progress that's being made here. Bill, how can people get in touch if they're interested in learning more about projects in Kenya?
1: Sure, they can get in touch with, with us directly. Simplest email is info at greatcarbonrally.com. You can also reach out to me directly. My email is first name, last name, so bilhad.dirango at greatcarbonrally.com. Uh, of course, there's always a LinkedIn and Twitter pages in case you just want to follow on, on our progress. We're just happy to respond to any inquiries that come through email. Wonderful.
0: Thank you so much for everything you're doing and thank you for making time to be on the show.
1: Thanks, Naeem. This was really great. i actually enjoyed myself. Thanks so much for having me.